I'd like to start by registering a heartfelt amen to uh, Brother Brian's uh, announcements this morning and saying how good it is that we can all be here together. Very uh, good to see everyone here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to stand before you this morning and be your teacher. You know, I'd like to think that times like this, when we can all be together and, and lift up these songs and lift up our prayers, I'd like to think this gives us maybe just a little bit of a glimpse or a little bit of a taste of what spending eternity together in heaven with God's going to be like. Um, I'd ask you to please grab your Bible and be turning to Joshua chapter 22. This morning I want to talk to you about uh, this amazing chapter that we have in the Old Testament from Joshua chapter 22. And before I, I jump into this chapter and, and study it with you this morning, let me fill you in or speak to you about the motivation um, from which I bring this lesson to you this morning. Uh, I attended my first area-wide brotherhood meeting in 2006, it was 12 years ago, and I remember this, the Sunday morning after the meeting, Brother Marlon Cole spoke. It was my first time to ever hear Brother Marlon or meet Brother Marlon, and I remember very well what he spoke about. He spoke about the words of Jesus when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are enjoying a time, I believe, of great peace in the church, and we ought to be very, very thankful for the peace, the harmony, the unity, the love that we have amongst ourselves. You know, I've been blessed in my own work, doing the work of an evangelist the last five years. I've been blessed to be able to go and work with several different congregations where in decades past, the brethren were very bitterly opposed to us and our work, but now we are starting to work together. And, you know, I really had very little to play in that. Others had come before me and laid the foundation to make that possible. Two brethren come to my mind when I think about that. One of them is here in this room. That's Brother Jay Henderson. And the other has passed on to his reward, and that was Brother Billy Cutchall from Falk, Arkansas. Some of you know and remember and love Brother Billy. He would come out and be involved in the spring work and, and help in that work for several years. Um, I was recently invited to northern Tennessee to preach to a joint meeting with several uh, of these kinds of congregations where in the past there was a lot of bitterness and division. And you know, it was very refreshing to me that they asked me to come and they asked me to speak about division and unity. And I preached to them from Joshua chapter 22. So y'all are going to get the same lesson uh, this morning here in Texas that they got over there in Tennessee. What I want you to know first about division is this. Division is one of Satan's most destructive tools. You know, we may have peace right now in the church, and we may be enjoying that, but rest assured, Satan never gives up on his work. He never gives up on trying to find ways to separate us from one another and divide us against each other. He's never going to give up on that. So we cannot become complacent. We need to realize that, you know, we've struggled with division in years past, and you could even look down through the centuries of the Lord's church and see different times of division. I hope this lesson this morning helps us all be on guard and helps us be prepared and equipped to battle back against Satan when he comes against us with this destructive tool of division. In Joshua chapter 22, I want to give a... A historical background. I've got a lot to say this morning. I better get after it or I'll keep you here too long. But I want to give a historical background of what we're going to look at this morning in Joshua chapter 22. 
In back in Numbers chapter 21, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness 40 years, but then they came up along the east side of the Dead Sea and they went through the land of Moab. Now, they didn't have many conflicts in the land of Moab as they passed through. In fact, they were their own worst enemy in the land of Moab. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But then they come to uh, the kingdom of Sihon. And they battle against the king of Sihon and the Amorites, and they defeat them, and they occupy their land. They go, uh, they're not able to go eastward into the land of Ammon. The Bible says in Numbers 21-24 that Ammon's border was strong, and Deuteronomy 2-19 says that God had reserved that land for the descendants of Lot. God didn't want his people to go there. That was the land he'd given for, Lot, for Lot's descendants. So Israel goes further north into the land of the Amorites, and they continue to conquer territory and possess their land. Then they come even further north along the east side of the Galilean Sea to the kingdom of Bashan, and they battle against Og, the king of Bashan, and they occupy his territory. And at that point, the children of Israel decide that they are going to separate and allot uh, land to two and a half tribes of Israel. The tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh went to Moses and said, this land is wonderful for our, for our cattle. Let us build uh, farms, if you will, for our cattle and, and let our family stay here and let us have our possession, he said, on the east side of the Jordan River. And the thing was acceptable in the sight of Moses and the people. And they decided that these two and a half tribes of Israel would have their possession on this, land, on this side of the Jordan. But Moses said, you know, but there was one stipulation that they would have to go over into the promised land and fight alongside their brethren to gain control of the territory on the west side of the Jordan River. And you know these two and a half tribes, the men promised, yes, we will go into the land, we will fight with our brethren and help them gain possession of their inheritance. So that's what happened. Joshua leads Israel across the Jordan River and they battle for the promised land. And in the process, 31 kings of the Canaanites were conquered and the rest of that land on the west side of the Jordan River was divided among the remaining nine and a half tribes of Israel. Now, all of this having been accomplished, we come to Joshua chapter 22. The Bible says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, half-tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. But now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore, he says, Now return ye, and get you unto your tents, and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side, Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went away into their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. But unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side, Jordan, westward. And when Joshua sent them away also into their tents, then he blessed them. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, with silver, with gold, with brass, with iron, with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren." And the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of, of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession. 
whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 10, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, children of Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see, it says. And the children of Israel heard, uh, and the children of Israel, the, their brethren back uh, in the land of Shiloh, they heard Israel, and the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Okay, now, and when the children of Israel heard of it, heard of the construction of this altar by these two and a half tribes over there by where Israel crossed the Jordan River, when they heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered to themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, they sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel. And each one was in head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead, and they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel? to turn away this day from following the Lord, in that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. He says, Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we're not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, they said, then pass ye over unto the land of, of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession amongst us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass and the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day, that we have built us an altar to turn from following, to, following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offerings or meat offerings, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us, and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you 
and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our, with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say again, Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices, but it is a witness. It is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt, burnt offerings, for meat offerings or sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God which is before his tabernacle. And Phineas. The priest and the princes of the congregation and heads of thousands of Israel, which were with him, they heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spake. The Bible says it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, to the children of Manasseh, To this day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the princes, returned from the children of Reuben, from the children of Gad, out of the land of Gilead, unto the land of Canaan. They went back home to the children of Israel and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. I want to explain to you a little bit about what we just read here in, in, in Joshua chapter 22. You know, this story here in Joshua chapter 22 is really a story about east versus west and how they almost went to war with each other, right? You know, in our country in the 1800s, we had our own civil war. They almost had a civil war. You know, our civil war was the north against the south. But in this story, it was the eastern uh, two and a half tribes on the, other, on the eastern side of the Jordan River versus the nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan River in the land of Canaan. You see, after conquering the promised land, Joshua tells those two and a half tribes, you know, it's time for you to go back home. You've been faithful and diligent to help your brethren win their inheritance and, and you've been faithful to the word of Moses, it's time for you to cross the river and go back home to your families and to your farms. And as they journeyed back to their homes, they came to the crossing of the children of Israel where they had initially crossed and went to Jericho and conquered it. And that's where they built an altar at the crossing of the river Jordan. Well, the western tribes hear about this. They hear that their brethren have left not all that long ago, and now they're already building an altar down there by the Jordan River. Uh-oh. It's bad news, right? They were very disturbed by the news of them building this altar down by the river. And they prepared themselves to go to war. But, you know, they were wise in the fact that they would first send emissaries along to help gather more information about what was really going on. That was a very wise decision. And, you know, the man they chose to go and represent them, Phineas the son of Eleazar. Do you remember who Phineas was? Phineas was the grandson of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, who was the brother of Moses. If my genealogy is right, that would make him Moses' great-great-nephew, okay? He comes from a good family, doesn't he? 
They send Phineas to go and to gather more information. Back in Numbers chapter 25, we read about how Israel came through the land of Moab. And I told you earlier that there was no conflict with Moab. They were their own worst enemy there. It was there that they were led astray into whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they began to worship the false god Baal. And, you know, God struck them with a plague for their idolatry. And they all got together and they said, you know, we've, we've got to stop this. We've got to stop the men of Israel from committing whoredom with the daughters of, of, of Moab. And the Bible says that there was a man of Israel who in their presence took a, Midian, a Midianite woman right there into his tent. And they were amazed how bold this man was in taking this Gentile woman right there into his tent. And Phineas went out and took a spear, took a javelin, the Bible says. He went into that tent, and you know what he did? He thrust them both through, that man and that woman, with that spear and killed them. That's the man they chose to go and maybe negotiate a peace treaty. <laughs> Phineas, of all people. But you know actually what Numbers 25 goes on to say about Phineas? God said, I'm going to give to him my covenant of peace. My covenant of peace because he went and made an atonement for the children of Israel and their sin when he went in that tent and punished them for their wickedness. God said, I'm going to give Phineas and his generations my covenant of peace. So that's, that's a comforting promise to know that God had promised that to Phineas. And he sets out to go and confront his brethren from the two and a half tribes in the east about this altar. And you know, the accusation that they, that they brought against them was this. You've trespassed. You've turned away. You've rebelled. You've committed great iniquity. He says, do you remember the iniquity of Peor? That's what I just described in Numbers chapter 25 when they committed whoredom with the daughters of Moab and worshipped Baal. And God struck them down. He sent a plague within them and killed thousands. And Phineas says, do you not remember what happened back there when we left God to go worship idols? Remember the iniquity of Peor? He says, remember the trespass of Achan. Remember the story of Achan, Judges chapter 7? Children of Israel just conquered Jericho. And they come to a village that was much, much smaller than, than uh, Jericho. No great and high fortified walls. Just a, just a small town. And they said, you know, there's no sense in all of Israel going to that little village of, of Ai. The, the name of the town was Ai. Just send a few over to, to conquer the, the town of Ai. Well, you remember how the story went. They went to, to conquer Ai and they had to retreat. They were defeated. And Joshua threw up his hands and cried out to God, you know, how can I take the land if I can't even defeat this small town of Ai? And God told Joshua, there's, there's sin in God's people. Someone has committed great sin. Well, they found out who it was. It was Achan. God had told them not to take any of the spoil from the city of Jericho. He told them to take gold, silver, brass, and iron and, and put it in the Lord's house for the Lord. He told them not to take any of the spoil for themselves. Well, Achan went and took a, midi, a, a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of gold. He buried them in the ground beneath his tent. He committed great sin. And because of that, God was wroth with the entire congregation of Israel. And that's what, that's what Phineas is telling uh, his brethren on the east side of the river. Because you've done this, you've built this altar, God's going to be angry at all of us. And we're all going to be punished for this great sin. And then the eastern tribes, children of Reuben, children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they give a response to these accusations. 
They say, you know, this altar is not an altar for sacrifice or for burnt offerings, but we built this altar to be a witness between us. They explained their motivation for this altar. You know, they said in time to come, we're worried that because we live on the other side of this Jordan River, that your children will say to our children, you have no part in the Lord. You can't come to his tabernacle. You can't come to his temple and worship him. They were afraid of that. And they said, you know what we need to do? We need to build a memorial. We need to build an altar here as a witness to future generations that, yes, we too have part in the Lord. Even though a river runs between us and separates us, we too have part in the Lord. So they built an altar. And, you know, I'm convinced that they built this altar as a replica of the very same altar in the courtyard of God's uh, tabernacle, the altar for burnt offering, the brazen altar as it's called. They didn't build it to offer offerings separate from those at the tabernacle. They just built it to serve as a memorial, as a witness, that those two groups of people separated by that river served the same God, and they wanted that to continue on down perpetually for future generations. I think this story here teaches us a lot about unity amongst God's people. There's a lot we we can learn. This is an amazing story. First thing I would want to tell you about unity among God's people, we see in this story that division just was not an option, was it? Division just was not an option. You know, I'm afraid we become too complacent or maybe too desensitized about religious division that we see around us. How many churches did did you pass by to get to this place of worship today? I bet many of you passed by two, three, four, maybe even more church buildings. Different groups all divided against each other to get to this place today. Now you think about how it was back then. There were two altars in the country and that was one too many. That was one too many. Compare that to what we see in Christianity today with all the division. We see a different kind of church, it seems, on nearly every street corner. And I wish I could stand before you this morning and say that we in Churches of Christ were immune from that division, but we're not, sadly. We've had our own divisions. In John 17, 20, Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us. You know, Jesus here prayed for oneness. He prayed for unity. And you know, when Jesus says one, and when he prays for one, two is too many. Three is too many. Five is too many. Thousands of different denominations divided against each other is way too many. Division shouldn't be an option for us. And sadly, it seems like we become complacent about it. We become desensitized to it. I do. But division wasn't an option for God's people back then. Second thing I want you to know is division hurts everybody involved. Division truly weakens the body of Christ. You know, the body of Christ is described in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Paul says we need to speak the truth in love, and when we do, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, the head of the body, right, the church. Who's that? That's Christ. Verse 16, here's the description of the body. From whom the whole body, that's the church, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The Bible teaches that we're all members of the same body and we're, we're joined together, we're knit together. There's joints that bond us and compact us and bring us together. 
But you know, when there's division and strife in, in the Lord's church, those joints aren't as strong as they need to be. Those bonds between us aren't strong. You know, I've never suffered with arthritis. Maybe some of you have. I've heard it's a very debilitating and painful disease when the joints aren't functioning correctly. And there's a lot of pain. And you know, I've seen people struggle with arthritis and their hands just cringe up like this and they just can't hardly use their hands to do what they once were able to do, right? Division in the Lord's church is a lot like arthritis. When the joints just are in pain and the members aren't connected together as they should, it really hurts our work. We're not able to do what we need to be doing in the Lord's church when there's division and when there's strife. Division disappoints our Lord Jesus. We know what he prayed for there in John 17. He prayed for oneness. Imagine how disappointed he must be to look down and see all the religious division amongst us. Division distracts us from our mission. You know, Jesus goes on to say there in John chapter 17, verse 21, that we should be one, we should strive for oneness and unity so that the world might believe that thou hast sent me, he prayed to the Father. And division amongst ourselves and a lack of oneness distracts us from that mission of trying to bring people to salvation in Christ. The third thing I want you to know about unity is that unity is worth fighting for. And I've got fighting in quotation marks. I don't want you to think I'm advocating that we ought to get together and fist fight and hope unity comes out of that. I'm not so sure that's going to work. But do you notice here in this story in Joshua 22 how unity was worth fighting for? It was worth fighting for. We should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and 1. Paul says, I, there, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. he says, forbearing one another in love. And he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavoring here comes from the Greek verb spoutazo. You can look it up in your Strong's Concordance. It's number 4704. And uh, Mr. Strong and his... Uh, Concordance gives a definition of this Greek word. It means to make effort, to give diligence, or to labor. We need to make effort, give diligence, and labor to keep and maintain the unity of God's people. Here's another Greek word, endeavoring to keep. This is a Greek verb, tereo. Strong's number 5083. It means to guard properly by keeping the eye upon. We need to labor and make diligence to guard properly and keep our eye upon the unity of God's people. And strive to maintain it. And you know, that's what they were trying to do in Joshua chapter 22. Both the eastern and the western tribes were endeavoring to keep the unity of God's people. And I'll tell you what I love so much about this story in, in Joshua 22. I believe both sides did what was right. Both sides were doing what was right. It was just one big communication breakdown is what it was. Both sides were, do, were doing what was right. Let's take the western side, for example. The western side, you know, they were endeavoring to keep the unity of God's people in a more reactive manner. Uh, they were responding to a perceived division that was happening in the present, the very here and now, right? They heard that there's a, they're building an altar down there. We've got to go down there. We've got to stop this. 
But you know, that what they were really trying to do is keep God's people together and not have them strung out serving all, all different gods. So they were endeavoring to keep the unity of God's people in a very reactive way. Now look at on the other side of the river, the brethren on the eastern side. They were in, this whole idea of building this altar was their effort to endeavor to keep the unity of God's people for future generations. You see that? They were taking a more, more proactive approach to uh, fending off division. And I like the more proactive approach, don't you? I like that. I like the more proactive approach where we work to prevent problems before they ever start. You know, that's one of the reasons why I said I'm sharing this lesson with you this morning. So we can be equipped to handle uh, the devil when he comes at us and tries to divide us. Something else I want you to know is that today's efforts, the efforts you and I make to keep unity or to heal division, they affect future generations. They truly do. The eastern tribes built that altar to guard against division amongst God's people in, fu in future generations. What could we do? in our own congregations, in our own areas, to prevent division? Or what could we do to heal division or strife that's already affected us? What could we do to ensure that there will continue to be peace and harmony and unity and love for our children and our grandchildren in the Lord's church? What, what can you and I do to ensure that our grandchildren can enjoy special times like this where we can all be together and, and be encouraged and worship God? I think we could all play a part, different times. Maybe some of us might have more opportunity than others. But when given the opportunity to help heal division or to help prevent it, we need to step up to the plate like, our, like God's people did here in Joshua chapter 22. And I, I want to tell you something else. Those who work to perpetuate division in God's people, they also affect future generations. And they don't affect it for the better, they affect it for the worse. And we, we certainly don't want to be in that category of people who are working to perpetuate division so that future generations continue to suffer from the consequences of it. Another thing that we learn from this chapter is that I believe communication is critical in all this. What might have happened if the eastern and western tribes didn't communicate? They were ready to go to war. Thankfully, they were able to talk it out before it got way out of hand. The whole thing was just one big misunderstanding. So communication, reasoning together, uh, when we're able to do that, we can, we can fend off a lot of the division before it ever gets started. Another thing I believe we learned from this chapter is that uniformity, I believe, promotes unity. Now, I want to tell you a myth that a lot of people have when it, when it comes to unity. A lot of people hear the word unity and they, uh, they believe this myth that unity means that we just take the differences that we have in doctrine or the differences that we have in our practices or our worship, and we just stop acting like those matter all that much. We just set them aside and say, well, these things really don't matter all that much. And, and that's how we get to unity. Brothers and sisters, that's a myth. Okay, that's a myth. Is that what they did in Joshua 22? Well, you know, let's just pretend like having two altars in the country is not a big deal. No, that's not what they did. They knew that wasn't the path to unity. They knew that that was the first step down a path of much division and much, much uh, false religion and idolatry. I want to show you something here about uniformity. Think about God's people Israel. Think about the uniformity that brought them together and was an ingredient in unifying them as God's people. 
They all experienced the same baptism according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When they crossed uh, the Red Sea, they were all baptized unto Moses. They received the same baptism. The Bible goes on to say they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They all followed the same cloud by day and the same pillar of fire by night. They all received the same law at the same mountain, Mount Sinai. You see, we, there's uniformity there. They, they weren't divided. One wasn't going this way, one going that way. They were all united by the uniformity. Same baptism, same rocks, or same food, same drink, same everything. Moses, would, or the, the book of Hebrews would go on to say in Hebrews chapter 9 that Moses sprinkled all the people in the book of the law with animal blood, with the blood of the covenant that brought them into that old covenant law. They were all sprinkled with the same blood. And we can look at this and we can see a lot of the similarities of our faith in Christ today. We all hear the same gospel. We all, obey, we all have to have the same uh, repentance. We make the same confession. We all receive the same baptism. We're put into the same body. We're made clean by the same blood. Uniformity is a big part of us coming into the family of God just like it was for them. And if uniformity is a major ingredient in unifying God's people like this to bring them into a covenant... I believe uniformity is also a major ingredient in maintaining those bonds of unity. And I want to show you this. I'm going to wrap it up in just a few moments, but I want to show you this. In Deuteronomy, uh, or in Joshua 22, we read in verse 28. Do you remember what the brethren from the east told the brethren of the west? They said, you know, if your children ever come to our children and say you have no part in the Lord... Here's what our children are going to do. They're going to tell your children, Behold the pattern of the altar. Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made. Not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but it's a witness between us and you. They were always going to be able to go to that altar on the bank of that river and point to it and say, Here is the proof that we are a part of God's people too, just like you. Here is a replica of that same altar that you offer your offerings on there in the tabernacle. I believe they built a replica. A replica of the brass altar for burnt offering there in the tabernacle. They built one just like the one that their brethren worship, uh, used and, and worshipped at there on the west side of the river. Now you stop and think about how important uniformity was right here in this part of the story. What if they went down to the Jordan River and built an altar that looked like that? built an altar that was more in line, you know, with what they liked or what pleased them. You think it would have convinced their brethren in years to come that they were all part of the same family of God, they all worshiped the same God? No. You see, uniformity, building an altar, the very same as the one that they worshiped at there at the, at the tabernacle was an important component here to ensuring that there would be unity amongst God's people in future generations. And it's the same way today. We've we got to strive for uniformity, be teaching and preaching and practicing the same things if we truly want to be united. Just pretending like differences don't, aren't important and don't matter. It sounds good. I've never seen it work. I've never seen it bring true unity. I've tried to think of a modern-day example of what we read here in Joshua 22 and I've been on the road a lot recently. Suppose I, I go back home here later this week and I notice at the end of my street they're building another church building. We've got dozens of churches in my town. Oh boy, another church. That, that would be my attitude. It would. Oh boy, here's another church. What's it going to be? What's, what's it going to be this time? 
And I, could, I would be very skeptical of another church building at the end of my street because I know how prevalent division is. But you know, what if they got that church building built and I just decided to go down and just sit in one of their services and see what they were all about? And what if I walked in and you know, they were warm and welcoming just like y'all are here? And what if I sat amongst them and we sang songs, same songs that we maybe have sung right here? And what if they prayed to God the same way we do? Same earnest prayers? What if they had the Lord's Supper the same way we do every first day of the week? And what if they got up and preached God's word and preached the gospel and preached sound doctrine? That would be refreshing, wouldn't it? That would be refreshing to learn that what I initially thought was just another division. We got a group of people here that are really striving to be God's people and be the New Testament church. I think that's the best modern day example that I could find of what really happened here in Joshua chapter 22. It was, didn't look good at first, but when they went and actually sat down and saw what was going on, you know, they were able to say there at the end, the Lord is with us. And that's the last point I have here. That's what we learn from this, this story in Joshua. And when we're united, the Lord is amongst us. That's what they said there in verse 31. This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. He said, finally, brethren, farewell. He says, be perfect. It means be complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. I think the Lord would have us to do the very same thing today. To be, strive to be complete. Be of good comfort. To be of one mind. To live in peace with one another. And when we do, I believe the God of love and peace will be amongst us just like he was amongst his people way back then. This is the lesson I have before you this morning. I hope and pray that it, these words will sink deep into your heart and deep into your mind. And, you know, I didn't deliver them to you today because I think that there's some great division that's out there looming and it's just, it's just right on the doorstep. No, that's not why I gave this lesson. I gave it so that we could remember these things and be proactive be proactive and be on guard against division and strife. And let's, let's be uh, faithful servants and ambassadors for Christ. Let's seek for peace. Let's try to be those peacemakers. Jesus promised a blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers. How blessed will we be if we'll strive to maintain and be at peace with one another and continue to enjoy this unity, this fellowship, this bond that we share together for many generations to come. What a great, great blessing that would be. I realize this morning I haven't preached a gospel sermon. I don't think I even hardly touch much of the New Testament. But nonetheless, you know, we always offer a gospel invitation. If you're here this morning and you're not a part of the body of Christ that we studied today, if you haven't obeyed the gospel and been baptized for the remission of your sins, if you haven't been added to the Lord's church, you have opportunity to do that today. And we would encourage you to become a child of God today, to, to obey the gospel and if you'll do that, God can forgive you, God can save you, He'll add you to His body, the church. And we hope that you wouldn't put that decision off any longer in your life. You'd make that decision today if you need to. If you're hearing to desire the prayers of the church for any reason, we are here to serve you. Just make your need known by coming forward, having a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing.